let's go before the loading prayer I not really sure about my volume settings so if I'm sounding too loud just let me know I'll turn it down low just need a little bit of amplification seeing that I have an accent but I'm sure you hear when I'm talking about Christ you will hear something about Christ so uh, be praying for that but let us just go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon his word again Heavenly Father Lord we bless your name this afternoon in the name of your son Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior thank you Lord for saving us by him and in him by his own faithfulness his own obedience we thank you for these whom we have gathered here by your gospel, by your spirit. Lord, we seek to hear from you. We seek to hear from your word. And now I seek help to speak even by my weakness. And Lord, may you speak to each and every one in a way that you alone are able to speak. May you bless this gathering. May you bless this time of fellowship in the name of Christ. Lord, I Thank you for safely bringing us all here, and we just pray that Christ will be exalted in all things. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm still trying to I'm, I'm still trying to get myself together. So be praying for me. And be praying for yourself. But to get things started, I just wanted to thank Brother Scott for inviting me one more time to come and speak about the things of Christ. It takes a lot of trust to put a man behind here. It's okay to have people there. <laughs> But put a man behind here takes a lot of trust because this is serious business. And Scott really is serious about the business of Christ. And it's because him and I, by the Lord's doing, we are of the same mind as far as the gospel of Christ is concerned. And that's why we are here and that's why we continue to be brothers in Christ. And to that, we have also Brother Jason Booth here, who has been a wonderful addition to our family. The Lord caused our paths to cross this way. Our paths could have crossed somewhere else. <laughs> but praise the Lord that he was pleased to cause our paths, even yourselves, to cross at the cross of Christ. So I praise the Lord for that. And with that... Just some caveats, some things that you may need to know about me. I am the pastor of Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Columbus, Ohio, as you heard from Brother Scott. And we have been, by the Lord's grace, been proclaiming the gospel. And I pray that I will bring the same gospel that we have been proclaiming. And I'm going to open our teaching with a text it's not my particular text that I'm going to be teaching from, but I thought it would be a very good text for us to open the conference and to prepare our hearts to hear the things of Christ. 
And this text is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, and I am just going to read verses 16 and 17. And this is what the Lord of the, the word of the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the odd parts. Where is the good way? And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said we will not listen. I'm just here to blow the trumpet. And to show you the odd path. Because the gospel is not a new story. The gospel is the oldest story that has ever been told. And we are calling people to stand in the ways and calling you to walk in the old paths, to go back to the old paths. And Jeremiah by the Holy Spirit says, where is the good way? The old paths are the good way. And what happens when you walk in the old paths? You will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls because the gospel of free and sovereign grace is the old path that we need to be walking in and that's the only place we're going to find rest for your souls. So we thank the Lord who has caused us to listen to it because naturally we don't listen. <laughs> so with that, let's go to our text for this afternoon. We are going to be in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, and we are going to be working verses 1 to 10. Matthew 27, verse 1 to 10. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Matthew records for us and says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. Verse 5, And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary, and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together, and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. 
and they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. And that is the word of the Lord. For those who love titles like myself, I have given this message four titles. <laughs> the first title is The Field of Blood. The Field of Blood. And the second title is The Price of Blood. And the third title is The Magnificent Price. The Magnificent Price. And the last title is a much bigger title. What did Jesus accomplish in his death? What did Jesus accomplish in his death? Many people talk about the gospel. And they say they believe the gospel. But the problem is, what gospel are they talking about? And what is the good news in their gospel that they profess to believe? The gospel is not what we do or decide to do with Jesus. It is not what is done in the believer even by Jesus. Not even by the Holy Spirit. The gospel is only the gospel when we know what the problem is. The gospel becomes the gospel when we know what the problem is and who Jesus is and what he accomplished. What did Jesus finish or accomplish in his death and for whom did he die? If Jesus died to pay for sins, then Jesus died for a particular people and his death actually accomplished something. Because you see, if the gospel is waiting for you, waiting for the sinner to do something with it so that it becomes the gospel, then you never do anything with it. Why? Because you're a sinner. <laughs> and a sinner cannot do anything with the gospel. A sinner needs to be saved. And they do not help themselves to get saved. So the gospel is not Jesus coming with a set of jumper cables and jump starting you so that you can drive your own vehicle into heaven. No. If you do something with the gospel to make it work, you are denying the power of the gospel. You are denying the wisdom of the gospel. So that is our mini introduction. And that will lay some kind of foundation of where we are going with this. In our text, going, getting ready to go to our text in Matthew 27, 
the Passover feast is fast approaching and Jesus has to die. He has to die as the Passover lamb. The lamb according to John the Baptist that takes away the sin of the world. A lamb was not for petting in a petting zoo. I took my boys two weeks ago to the zoo and they went, they have a section where you can go and pet the lambs and the, and the gods. <laughs> no. A lamb was not for petting in a pet, petting zoo. A lamb did not take away sin by being petted. It did not cover sin by its cuteness because if you look at the little lambs, they are so cute. Salvation requires more than cuteness. It requires perfection. It requires the righteousness of the Godman. It requires the righteousness of Christ. So a lamb took away sin. It covered sin in a picture only by dying. To dying on the altar. The altar was the place of death. And so Christ in coming as the Lamb of God is going to be put on the altar of death as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus came, he came to die. And when he died, he accomplished something. Jesus' death did not make things possible. Jesus' death did not make anything possible. The death of Christ finished salvation. So Jesus Christ has to be put on the cross. He has to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be put to death because the hour of his glorification had come. And so like a woman in labor, getting ready to deliver children, deliver children unto God, he is getting ready to go into the delivery room. And so he agonizes. He groans and he moans and with loud cries. He prays and says in Matthew 26, 39, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in Luke 22, verse 44, Luke records and says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So as the woman in labor, the contractions are getting closer and closer and stronger and stronger. And God is moving heaven and earth. 
that his son may be raised up on the tree of shame. But Jesus cannot just put himself on the cross. He has to be put on the cross by the hands of sinful men. And his betrayer, Judas Iscariot, was there with him, chosen and appointed by God to do this work from before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was not lucky that Judas was there. Judas was there by God's appointment. For this very purpose, Judas was raised. For this very purpose, Pilate, Herod, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the rulers were raised. That by their sinful hands, they may raise the Son of God on the cross. The sin of Judas and the sin of the devil were tools that were required and appointed by God that the Son of Man may be glorified. Every job requires tools. Every job to be done right requires the right tools and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ required the tools of sin and sinful hands to be accomplished. And we don't apologize for that. We're not going to be dancing around that. We say it as it is. The Lord Jesus Christ had to be crucified by the hands of sinful men and sinful men were part of the equation of the glorification of Christ. So Judas could not help but Betray the Son of God. It had to happen because the mighty God, the sovereign God, was in total control of everything that was happening, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the Lord Jesus Christ even giving instructions to both Judas and the devil and saying, Whatever you two have to do, you do it quickly. <laughs> you keep the schedule, boys. Listen to this. John 13. <laughs> John 13, verses 21 to 30. I'm just going to read through. John records and says, When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter, Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, what do you do? Do quickly. <laughs> now, 
no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. So do you see who is in charge? The Lord Jesus Christ, he dips the morsel of bread and he gives it to Judas. And immediately the devil enters Judas and the Lord speaking to both Judas and the devil says, okay, whatever you do, keep the schedule. That's sovereignty. That is absolute control. But hear this in Matthew 26. The, the chief priests and the elders of Israel, these who were opposed to Jesus were plotting on how they may secretly apprehend and kill him. And so they found a willing partner in the person of Judas Iscariot. And Judas was a lover of money and the chief priests had some money to get their work of getting rid of Jesus done. And so God was lucky again. <laughs> but something had happened before Jesus, before Judas had spoken, had spoken to the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees. If you still remember, in John chapter 12 and also in Matthew 26, a certain woman had anointed the Lord with some very costly perfume. And Judas was not very happy about that. And there may have been some other disciples who were not very happy about the manner in which the oil was being used because it apparently was very expensive. They were saying, uh, I don't know if it's John who gives this detail, but 300 denarii worth of perfume. And from those who know these figures better than me, say that would happen the annual salary of an average laborer. And this whole alabaster flask full of oil had been broken to anoint the body of Jesus. And Judas was leading the charge to say, what a waste. We could have sold this oil and gotten money and fed the poor. So Judas was not very happy about that transaction. And so he thought to find a way to get paid. Judas was determined to make money off of Jesus. So he made a bargain for the blood of Christ. Listen to this. Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, did I say Matthew 6, 26, 14 to 16? Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. 
So Judas has been paid and now he has to deliver the goods. And so he was always looking for a good opportunity to betray the Lord into the hands of the chief priests. But as this is happening, we are going somewhere actually. I'm developing some background. Because what I need you to hear requires all this background. But as Judas is going about and selling out the Lord to the chief priest, the Lord Jesus Christ was also instituting the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Listen to Matthew 26, 26 to 29. Matthew records and says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it this is my body. And when he had taken up a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so this is what is happening. You have a number of vantage points to what is about to happen as the Lord gets ready to finish his mission on earth. So after all this had happened, the Lord entered into the garden of Gethsemane and there he began to agonize. He prayed and there at night they came to get him. Matthew 26, 47 to 50. While he was speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to, Je to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And Judas had accomplished his work, for which he was raised. And Judas could not repent. Judas could not repent because you can't cause yourself to repent. Repentance has to be granted by God. It's God who has to give you the power and the willingness to repent. But to repent, you need more than that. You need a high priest to intercede. Christ never interceded for Judas to repent. And you and I are here having repented from all the falsehood to the truth of Christ not because it was boring there but because the Lord did it. So listen to this. The Lord now is in the hands of the high priest and he has to be questioned and he has to be charged. 
Matthew 26, 59 to 66. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you, you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard of the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. And so, all that was introduction to our text. We needed that background. And so now we're going to go to our text, Matthew 27, verse 1 and 2. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. So the first trial of the Lord was conducted at night. And so these guys determined to legitimize their illegal proceedings that they had done at night by reconvening in the morning so as to reaffirm their judgment of death on Christ. They were determined to put the Lord to death. But they did not have the power at this time in the history of Israel to put any man to death since they were under Roman rule. And Pilate was over them as the governor of Judea and Samaria. So we hear this in John 18, 31. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. You see, they were seeking for the death sentence. And so they delivered the Lord to Pilate. Pilate is he who had the power of the sword. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was condemned. Verse 3 and 4 of Matthew 27. And you know we are closed to the end when we get to verse 10. <laughs> Matthew 27 verse 3 and 4. Then when Judas who had betrayed him saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. Judas, this is my opinion, Judas did not think that Jesus would actually be condemned to die. 
Judas has been with Jesus. Judas has seen Jesus making a disappearing act before. So Judas is thinking, if I could make some money with Jesus, hand him over to these guys, he is still going to pull another trick. He did not think Jesus was going to die. But when he realized that Jesus was now condemned to die, and Jesus was in the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees, he began to feel remorse. He became remorseful. Even the, even the reprobates, <laughs> they get some conviction. They have some remorseful feelings. But the problem is, you need more than a remorse to repent, as I said. You need the Lord to cause your repentance. And I've heard people say, Judas could have repented if he wanted to. Judas could have repented if he wanted to. And this is someone who professes to know some things about the gospel. In Luke 22, 22, the Lord Jesus Christ said, The Son of Man has to go the way that has been appointed for him. But woe is to the man by, he, by whom he goes. Now if Jesus says woe to the man, how is he going to repent? <laughs> he can't repent. He can't. So, Judas is feeling remorse for what has just happened and he is trying by all means to correct the situation. But it is too little, too late. He needed more than retaining the money to recover Jesus. If Jesus has to come back, the only hope is the resurrection. And Jesus is going to resurrect not because the money was returned, but because he said no man can take his life from him. <laughs> but this is what is happening. I want you to see what is happening. Judas has to make a confession of the sinlessness and righteousness of Christ. Judas has to make a pronouncement of the person of Christ and say, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So as we are around the cross, we are hearing testimony of the righteousness of Christ. Even from wicked men. Judas, I have sinned against innocent blood. Pilate washes off his hands and says, This man is an innocent man. And the Roman soldiers, if you still remember on the cross, they also gave the same testimony. That surely this man was a righteous man. So that testimony of Christ has to be given because when he went on the cross, he was not dying because of his sin. He did not have any. Jesus Christ died on the cross because of our sins that were imputed to him. They were reckoned to him as his there was no sin that was infused in the person of Jesus. It was a legal charge as the surety and representative of his people 
he assumed the guilty of all those that were given to him by the father and he went and he died and he paid perfectly and completely everything that was required so jesus christ was holy he was innocent he was undefiled and he was separate from sinners that's the testimony from the right of hebrews but he had to go this way this way that was appointed for him by the father from before the foundation of the world but the religious leaders are not sympathetic to judas they even tried to dissociate themselves from judas and the money and so they said to judas what is this to us <laughs> you see to yourself sin loves company but you love, you have to pay the consequences by yourself okay so the religious leaders could not even touch the money so what did they do with the money verse 5 of matthew 27 and he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and he went away and hanged himself so judas took the money went to the temple sanctuary and he dumped the money there and he went away and hanged himself the text says judas hanged himself but apostle peter in the book of acts in acts 1:15 to 20 this is what he recorded for us listen to this at this time peter stood up this is on the day of pentecost at this time peter stood up in the midst of the brethren a gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said brethren the scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit foretold by the mouth of david concerning judas who became a guide to those who arrested jesus for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out and it became known to all who were living in jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called hakodama that is the field of blood for it is written in the book of psalms let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office so that's apostle peter's telling of what actually happened to judas but let's keep going with our text in matthew 27 verse 6 the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said it is not lawful to put them into the temple sanctuary since it is the price of blood so the chief priests suddenly found themselves with a very difficult situation so the money problem the 30 pieces of silver did not just affect judas it also boomeranged back to them it was easy to give it out as payment to judas but now they had to get rid of it for it smelled of innocent blood and this money could not be put back into the temple 
treasury where gifts to God were put. So what are we to do then? Verse 7 and 8. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, the, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So they conferred, they came together and agreed that they should buy not a condo, not to start a new business, not to go to the shopping and buy some new things, <laughs> but to buy the potter's field. The field was known and owned by some porter. And that porter had the right to it. And in this field, I need to pay attention to what I'm, but this is going to be the gist of what the Lord has given. The field was known and owned by some porter. And he had rise to it. And in this field, there was clay used to make pottery and all kinds of vessels. This field would have a kiln for the pottery, for baking the pottery. And naturally, it would also have a lot of broken pots. It was a field used to make fragile earthen vessels. This was not AK steel. It was for making fragile earthen vessels. And so the religious leaders approached the porter who owned this place of land and said, here are the 30 pieces of silver. May we get the land. By the way, we are not going to tell you the whole story with the money. <laughs> so these guys have power to change the city ordinance because this piece of land had been allocated to making pottery and now is being changed to be the place for burying strangers. is becoming a cemetery. So these guys have the power to change that. So this field now becomes the bearing ground for those who came to Jerusalem on their pilgrimage journey and who had died, who had succumbed to death whilst they were still in Jerusalem. And they could not be buried in the city of God if they were not Jews. Jerusalem was the city of David. It was the city of Christ in a picture. And so no strangers were to be buried there naturally. And this is what we need to know about being buried or not being buried. To not be buried properly is a shame even in our own time and day. But more so in this time. Because what that meant, what that meant was, if one was not buried properly, 
they would be eaten by the birds of the air and the wild animals. And that would bring shame to the family. They would have died as an accursed thing. But now, because of the 30 pieces of silver, dead foreigners could also have some decent burial place and resting place. <laughs> it's getting good. I want you to see something else. See that the, the 30 pieces of silver did not come from Judas. The 30 pieces of silver were the valuation that was made of the blood of Christ. The 30 pieces of silver came from the price they sold of our Lord. Listen to First Peter. First Peter 1, 17 to 19. When I say that the 30 pieces of silver were the valuation of the Lord, that is not saying that was the actual value of the blood of Christ. Because Apostle Peter tells us this about the blood of Christ in 1 Peter 1, 17-19. He says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You see the contrast. So we are not saying the 30 pieces of silver were actually the value of the blood of Christ. But they were preaching something about Christ. But let us work the gospel. The 30 pieces of silver bought a burial place for strangers. This place that was only for making fragile earthen vessels vessels became the bearing place of other fragile earthen vessels. Human vessels. It's going to get clear. Who are these strangers? <laughs> who are these strangers who did not have somewhere to be buried and now on account of the blood of Christ have somewhere to be buried? Who are these strangers? That is you and I. We were the strangers who had no burial place in the city of God. We are the fragile earthen vessels who needed a burial ground. We needed to be buried in a field that was purchased not by Judas. Because if Judas purchases the burial ground for you, that can't help you. Not by the chief priests. The chief priests are not they who bought the burial ground. Not by your own savings. Your own savings are not enough to purchase a burial ground for you. It was by the blood of Christ. It was the blood of Christ. Listen to Zechariah. Zechariah 11. Verses 11 13. Zechariah records and says, So it was broken on that day, and thus the afflicted of the flock who were watching me realized that it was the word of the Lord. 
I say to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the porter, that magnificent prize at which I was valued by them. Who is talking? That's Jesus. Throw it to the porter, that magnificent prize at which I was valued. I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the porter in the house of the Lord. So that is the fulfillment of what Matthew recorded for us in Matthew 27. But Matthew, I didn't want to spend time on this, but since I'm there, he said, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah. And yet that prophecy came from Zechariah. So was Matthew not telling the truth? No. From my understanding, back in the days, they used to group the prophets by the major prophets. So you'd have a grouping of Isaiah. And you have the smaller prophets in Isaiah. So if you're quoting even a smaller prophet, you would use Isaiah as your heading. So with Jeremiah as the major prophet, Zechariah was under the fold of, 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 of Jeremiah. And so when Matthew was recording, he referred Zechariah 11 as if it was written by, by Jeremiah. So that is what, that's what is happening. So let's, let's continue with our text. We have here an issue of broken vessels. Who are these broken vessels? I said it is you and I. But what is broken about you? Who are these broken earthen vessels? It is these who fell among the thieves and robbers. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, I think. The man who was robbed and he was beaten and left for dead. He was stripped of his clothing. He was wounded and the thieves departed and left him on the road to Jericho just at the point of death. Who are the thieves who came and robbed the man and beat him to death? Sin, death and condemnation, the devil, are they who came and beat you to death and stripped you of righteousness. He stripped you of the righteousness. You did not have really any righteousness, but we lost our righteousness in the sin of Adam. This is what happened. You became a sinner through Adam. There are some who say, well, the sinner was never really condemned. I don't agree with that. Because as long as you have the first Adam and you were born in the first Adam, then you had to be condemned before you were redeemed. Christ came to redeem us 
from the sin, death, and condemnation that came through the first act. Thank you. So the earthen vessels are these who were stripped of any righteousness. You and I had no righteousness to talk about. We went naked. And if you still remember, when the good Samaritan took the man to the innkeeper, the man was naked. What did he do? He covered the man. And the good Samaritan was Christ. The good Samaritan was Christ. It is he who came and covered the naked man who has who had been stripped of all righteousness, stripped of everything, and left dead in trespasses and sins. And then Jesus Christ says, well, to the innkeeper, he has two denarii. That's a down payment. And if there's anything else that is required on behalf of this man, don't charge it to his account, you charge it to my account. Why? Because salvation is 100% the work of Christ alone. He did not leave us anything to pay by our own selves. So God's people are broken earthen vessels because we fell among the thieves and lost the covering of righteousness in Adam. We were wounded and were left dead in trespasses and sins. And for that reason, also in a way of application, all those who have been called of Christ are earthen vessels. Don't even think that when you think you are doing very well and mistake that for glorification. You are still as fragile as you were the first time that Christ came and got you. You are still very vulnerable to sin where it not of the Lord who keeps us. And also with that understanding, we deal with earthen fragile vessels. The people that we deal with are sinners. They are fragile people. And they need to be handled as fragile people. We have to understand that. We are still very fragile people. In as much as we know a lot of things about Christ, we are still very vulnerable. The devil plays tricks with us. We have all kinds of opposition to the truth of God that we have to wrestle with on a daily basis. And so because we are fragile vessels, the Lord Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, he came to Simon Peter. And he said this to Simon Peter in John 21, 15 to 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the Lord said to Simon, Feed my lambs. See what the Lord did not say. The Lord did not say feed my lion cubs. He said feed my lambs. Why? Because they are vulnerable. Why? Because they are broken earthen vessels. They need care. They have been in all kinds of sin. We did not, Jesus did not find us singing Amazing Grace. 
he found us in some places that we don't even want to have anybody remind us of. We are weary of our sin. So the Lord says, if you love me, handle my sheep. Not only my sheep, handle my lambs, because there are some who are coming to the knowledge of Christ who are still very vulnerable and you can destroy them. So they need some tenderness of heart even as they are learning and growing in the things of Christ. Jesus says, tend my sheep. Even the ones that are grown are still sheep. <laughs> They're not bears. Okay? So I just thought that that's something that we need to do because some people don't know how to handle this. The Lord is working, he's calling his church and we are just but instruments in his hands that is using to that effect. Okay? But anyway, let's go back to our burial place. <laughs> the burial place that we have found is a resting place. And it was purchased by the blood of Christ. It was valued at the price of the blood of Christ. And as I said, it was not the blood of Judas that got us a burial place. But why did the Lord purchase this burial place for us? That we also may be buried in dignity and not be left to be destroyed by the birds of the air. My dear friends, brothers and sisters, we were strangers without God and without Christ and without hope. But by the blood of Christ, we have been drawn near to him. Listen to what Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, go with me and we are going to apply this understanding from there. We are very close to finishing, if you can believe a preacher. Ephesians 2, 11 to 12. Sorry, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Apostle Paul writes and says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See there, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How, we, how did God bring us near to him? This was a wonderful opportunity to say we were brought near by our good works. <laughs> no, we were brought near by the blood of Christ in, who purchased us a resting place in the seat of God. Verse 14 to 16, For he himself is our peace, 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So the, the dividing wall between us and the commonwealth of Israel was removed by the blood of Christ. We too enter into the promises of God through Christ. That is the only way to enter into the promises of God. And so this Christ, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Through Christ, through his blood, through his death, through his obedience, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying this is what the field of blood did for you. <laughs> it made those who were strangers not strangers anymore. We were brought near. We were given access to the very presence of God through Christ. We now shall be buried as if we were citizens of Jerusalem. Citizens of the heavenly city. We are not talking about the Middle East. The Jerusalem that we are talking about is the heavenly city. So now, you and I shall be buried as citizens. Why? Because the blood was enough. The blood of Christ is what made you a citizen of heaven. Otherwise, you shall, you would forever remain an illegal immigrant without any documentation. <laughs> you had no proper documentation until the blood of Christ purchased you and brought you into the household of God. Let's ask and answer some questions. I'm almost done. What is this potter's field in which we were buried? What is this potter's field that takes strangers for burial? Strangers who did not have insurance, strangers who did not have money, Strangers who did not have any right 
to proper burial. What is this potter's field? It is the covenant of grace. It is the covenant of grace. It is the New Testament in the blood of Christ. That is the field that was bought by the blood of Christ that we may enter into it and be buried in it. The New Testament in the blood of Christ is the field that purchased, that Christ purchased, that was established in his own blood for the remission of our sins because you see, you and I could not have rest and we could not enter into God's rest and we could never have peace outside the covenant of grace. You could never have peace and a proper burial, spiritually speaking, outside the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace was the only covenant by which a sinner, a broken vessel as you and I, could ever be buried and lie in peace and enter into God's rest. It only happens in the new covenant and that is why the Lord Jesus Christ as he was about to go on the cross said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for what? For the forgiveness of sins for the remission of sins. So there was never any hope for you in the law of Moses. The law cannot purchase a resting place for a sinner. The law by itself has no ability to purchase a resting place for one who is a stranger. Why? Because the law says you buy your own resting place. You have to perform, you have to give everything that the law demands for you to do for you to have life. Otherwise, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do all the things that are in the written, that are written in the law to do them. So the law could not give you enough savings of righteousness so as to purchase your own rest. But the new covenant in the blood of Christ comes and says, come and enter into my rest. Come and enter into my field as a broken and fragile vessel as you are. There's room for you. There's room for your burial. And there's a burial that is to an everlasting life and an everlasting righteousness. And Paul would come and say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who have been buried in the potter's field. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the potter's field was the property of Christ. It is Christ who purchased it. It is he who purchased it by his blood, so he owns everyone who is buried in that field. <laughs> Let me close off this way. 
the sufficiency of Christ. The gospel is called the gospel and it's wonderful news because Christ is sufficient. If Christ is not sufficient, we are of all men miserable. The gospel is only the gospel and there's only hope and everlasting hope because of one reason. Christ is sufficient. And Christ completed our salvation. And so all the arguments that we have with people who bring another gospel comes down to that. To say, what did Christ actually accomplish in his obedience? Was he sufficient to purchase for us a proper burial place or he was not? Do we have to hitch up our own trailer and bring some things to beautify this potter's field? No. Christ alone did it. So in what way was this taught in this story? In what way was this taught? Listen to this. See that the porter, when the chief priest came to buy the piece of land, the porter did not negotiate for a higher price for his field. He did not make an objection to selling the land and he did not object to the price. He did not say, no, by the way, this is a family plot that I cannot sell. This has to be handed from one person to another in our family. He did not say, business is good right now. I can't sell it to you. But if I have to sell it, give me 1,000 pieces of silver. The 30 pieces of silver that were offered by the religious leaders were just enough price to buy the piece of land. And it was agreeable with the porter. The 30 pieces of silver was enough to make the exchange. The transfer of ownership happened without any further negotiation of the price. Because it was a magnificent price. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Jesus paid it all. He finished it. And you have nothing to add to that price. As the religious leaders did not have to add to the 30 pieces of silver for there to be transfer of ownership of the potter's The blood of Christ is enough by itself to find you a resting place. And so to a question that we started off with at the beginning. What did Christ accomplish in his death? Jesus Christ, by his one perfect offering, he purchased for us a permanent resting place. All those who were given to him have a permanent and everlasting resting place, which means they have the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> but that's the only way you're going to rest. And if the 30 pieces of silver were enough to buy a piece of land of broken vessels without any further negotiation, Jesus' blood is enough even now to buy you and I everlasting righteousness 
and everlasting life and everlasting rest without you adding anything. So you and I are the broken vessels that have found rest in the field that was purchased by Christ. So Jesus Christ did not put our salvation on a credit card. Jesus Christ did not put a lay away for us. Jesus Christ is still not paying for our salvation. He paid it all. He paid it all. Moses could not help you to pay. You could never help yourself to pay. Your baptism cannot help you to pay. Your good works cannot help you to pay. The good news of the gospel is that all the broken vessels, all these who come to Christ as broken vessels, as sinners, have found a permanent resting place. So as the Lord Jesus Christ died, he enacted a new covenant in his blood. Because the new covenant in the blood of Christ was our resting place. And when he was enacting that new covenant, he said something that is very important. And I pray this is going to bless someone. It is given for the remission of sins. For the cancellation of sins. Now we know this about cancer. When the doctors say cancer is in remission, they are saying that the cancer is still there, but it is not causing any more trouble. <laughs> so the new covenant in Christ has put our sins in remission. Sin is still a reality in your life, but it is in remission. Why? Because it can't condemn anymore. Your sin cannot condemn you because it is in remission. And it is in remission only because you are in the covenant of grace. So we still sin, but our sins do not condemn us as to lose salvation. Okay? The question that I will leave you with is in whose field have you been buried? In whose field as a broken vessel are you seeking rest? Because there are going to be some people who are going to be buried with some of the most expensive caskets. They're going to be wearing the nicest suits and they're going to be embalmed and they may actually look like they are alive. But that is not the potter's field. That is not the magnificent price. Those who belong to Christ only have one hope. They only look to the perfect and magnificent price that Christ paid all by himself. 
and that's what makes us different. It seems like it's a very difficult thing to understand, but it's such a simple doctrine to understand. Jesus did it all. <laughs> and so we only enter into this field not by our own works of righteousness, but by faith. How do you enter into this field of Christ? By believing. Only by faith. Why? Because it's only by believing that the righteousness of Christ is credited to a sinner. Praise the Lord. I'm done. <laughs>